This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the DMs Guild affiliate links and our patrons and to our patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this surprise round, we are going to solve a mystery at the local library, only to find out that it was Old Man Withers in a rubber mask all along. And he would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for us kids, as we discuss our first impressions of Candlekeep Mysteries. I had to do, be a little extra creative for our guests in this episode, since I couldn't ask our official historian and regular uh, uh panelist, I guess, for the Surprise Round episodes, because Brandis uh, wrote one of the sections of the book. So it didn't feel right having him come on and give first impressions of something he wrote. Instead, we've got two returning guests who have each, I think, been on Surprise Round discussions with us uh, before. First of all, we have the only man who could possibly consistently do something for, I don't know, what must be more than a decade and still call himself a newbie. Uh, it's your friend and mine. It is the newbie DM, Enrique Bertrand. Welcome back. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having me back. Hi, everybody. Uh, glad to be here. Fun times. Excellent. And then also uh, our returning champion. Uh, I believe if my if my records are right, you were actually on the last surprise round episode, uh, which we did on Tasha's Cauldron. Uh, it is the man who calls himself El Warius and makes D and D videos and streams in actual uh, in actual play streams, uh, mostly in Spanish. And so, unfortunately, I am too stupid to understand. So, welcome back, uh, Mario Ortegan. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm proud of your uh, of your pronunciation of it. I, 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 yeah, I, um, yeah, I don't know whether I'm doing a good job or if I just come no. off like I'm mocking you. So <laughs> no, it was. <laughs> okay. You know, the, yeah. The next step is 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 my last name, Ortegon. Yeah, Ortegon. That's, that's okay. Kind of like yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work. I'll, the first time I had uh, uh, um, Eugenio Vargas on uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. DM Jazzy Hands uh, was an embarrassment as well because I completely butchered <laughs> his first name. So. Yeah, no, but my name is weird even for Spanish speakers because uh, it's kind of like a variant of a common name. Oh, so now I got to not only get good at my, my Spanish pronunciation, <laughs> yeah. but I got to get, get figure out these weird uh, variants. So, all there's right. Like, there's like a last name Ortega and he's yeah. like a big Ortega. He's yeah, like yeah. Ortegon. Right, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, so in this episode, um, it is entirely possible that the whole episode will devolve into very intelligent uh, conversation that I have no idea what's happening uh, because both of our, our panelists that aren't me um, are smart enough to be bilingual and I'm not. So... <laughs> You could devolve into Spanish language uh, tome show, and I would have no idea what's happening. I don't know that uh, Sam, who edits, is uh, bilingual or can speak Spanish uh, either. So you could say whatever you want about us, and it would probably make it into the show because we don't know. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. in, oh, in this episode, it'll be a mystery. Haha, there we go. Uh, in this episode, we are discussing Candlekeep Mysteries. It is a book about uh, a book of D and D mystery adventures, ranging from level one to sixteen. This is an anthology of adventures. They do not tell a cohesive story, nor are they in the same location necessarily. Although they all start from the same place, 
this book, uh, to my assessment, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is if I had to compare it with any other already existing product, I would probably compare it with Tales from the Yawning Portal, except that the theme is mysteries instead of dungeons, and they're completely new adventures instead of um, sort of updating old adventures, right? Um, and just to remind people, this is a surprise round episode. This is our first impressions of the book. We try to get it out very quickly or sometimes even before the book is released uh, with the understanding that we probably haven't done a deep read through and we definitely haven't played the adventures at this point uh, in our conversation. Uh, and then later on, if we decide that it's needed, we, we can always come back and revisit a book with a, a deep read through or a deep discussion of adventures we've actually run because um, I feel like a year or two after a book comes out is really kind of the ideal time to review it but it's too late to inform a lot of people who've already went out and bought their books so here we are I, I, I get why you're comparing it to Yawning Portal I, mm -hmm. I, I agree but I, I'll throw it out there maybe it's closer to Saltmarsh yeah I kind of thought about Saltmarsh but Saltmarsh is designed with enough of a framing mechanism that you could kind of make a campaign out of Saltmarsh. In fact, I know, you know, uh, we, we know people like Mike Shea who did. Yeah, that, you're right. And I don't know that we could, you could do that with this. Just like you're I don't right. think you could do that with, with Yawning Portal. Uh, and if you did, it would be a weird campaign. <laughs> so I think you could probably do a... I agree. I think you could probably do more of a campaign with this than with Yawning Portal. I imagine that that's true. I mean, yeah. you could always you could always say that you're spending a year at living in Candlekeep, and then all these weird things happen every time you pick up a weird book off the shelf. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I kind of thought about that. I kind of I was I, at one point I was kind of thinking, and we haven't gotten wholly into the book at this point, but I kind of was kind of thinking that you could you could kind of like the book doesn't help you do it. I guess is the point, but right. you could kind of frame a like. You could do a a campaign where you the party is kind of the Scooby Gang and they happen to be based out of Candlekeep. Yes, and you know, and so every episode is a new crazy Candlekeep book and mm -hmm. something you know. And you could even do a big sort of conclusion to the whole thing, where you know it turns out the reason there were all these weird things going on was that there was one grand villain lacing weird books into the into the library or whatever. Uh, but it's not designed to do that. So. It's not, but I think it's. I think you could easily like MacGyver in a, a campaign because together. At, le at least it has that starting common yeah. location. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, before we dig much further in, uh, Enrique and I have gone back and forth a little bit on the book, but before we go much further in, I want to let people know you can support um, the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the tome show. Uh, Amazon, for reasons I don't understand, after 10 years has pulled our affiliate status, uh, and they won't tell me why, and they won't listen to an appeal, so fine, I guess we won't do the Amazon thing anymore. Um, but you can still support us by, um, by being patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show. And so usually I use the Amazon affiliate money to, to help, uh, those people who contribute to the show on a regular basis or who, who host shows for us. Um, but if I get enough patrons, I might still be able to sort of send a little thank you to them every now and then, um, for, for all the work that they do to make things possible. So now, despite the fact that Enrique and I have been talking about, um, about the book already a little bit. Let's talk about the book now, <laughs> right? Uh, so we have, uh, I guess it's worth noting that we all have early review copies from Watsy 
and so full disclosure, none of us paid for our books. Oh, see, I don't have the variant cover anymore. I always send those to Tracy. <laughs> I have it, but I'm afraid to touch it. It's just like so beautiful, and it's like what 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 is what is this thing called? It's gold. textured. I, I think yeah, the, it's textured. You know, the the gold uh, cover is textured a little bit. I think it's really yeah. nice. It's probably yeah, one of the nicest ones they've done. I think. Yeah, they they uh, they've, there have been several where it's like I kind of want to keep this one, but I have a. I have a system now. Tracy gets all the alt, alt covers um, since I've been getting them, um, and then I get the I keep the originals. I do. I like the idea that on this on my shelf, looking at the spines, that they all match, whereas the alt covers don't. Um, yeah. So that's why that's why I started sending her all the alt covers, um, and and that's part of why she's not with us tonight because um, she's not going to end up getting it for another day or two. Uh, and then she's also got some family health issues going on that she's dealing with. So we're giving her some time off to deal with all of that. So, uh, so candle keep mysteries. We've, we've talked a little bit, uh, about sort of in our intro, what this book is, but I think it's worth diving in both on a, in a sort of in world in game way, but also in a, in a sort of meta way, um, what is Candlekeep Mysteries to, to you all? How would you describe Candlekeep Mysteries? So for me, it's a book that I've been asking for for a long time. Not specifically, you know, a Candlekeep-centric book, but but a book with short adventures. Maybe, you know, you could, you could probably one-shot some of these, um, you know, adventures. So a book of short adventures, easy to run, uh, low prep, because they really aren't very... Uh, prep heavy any of these adventures and um set in a fantastical place such as the uh, library of candlekeep which happens to be probably one of my favorite if not my favorite place in the vergana realms so i'm actually very happy with this book it's it's interesting that like they've really rooted this in the in the location of candlekeep and then at the same time really didn't Right, because the individual adventures, uh, most of them don't take place in Candlekeep. Um, a lot of them go off to like uh, demi planes, and which could be anywhere. Like they're they're non canonical, sort of forgotten realmsy sort of places, right. uh, and so the, the some of the adventures come off less. Realmsian, if you will, uh, in a lot of ways, a lot more sort of portable uh, because they're in these sort of demi planes and they're off in their own thing. Uh, and so you can kind of stick them wherever you want. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I agree with Enrique. I, you know, being someone who prefers to run games, um, you know, on my own uh, world in my own setting and stuff like that. These uh, these anthologies, ever since they did the uh, the Yawning Portal, and then Salt Marsh, and then this, I've enjoyed this more and gotten more use of them mm. than the you know full campaign size adventures. But it's a preference. I know people like like you know having the the big uh, mm-hmm. the big modules. But in my case, I just really love having these like small modules that I can just pick up and insert anywhere. They work so well. See, I've one of the things I've particularly liked is I think the I think I actually like the pace that they've been doing it. Like they've had what two or three campaigns for every one of these sort of anthology books that they do. 
Uh, and I think that's about the right pace. Well, honestly, I don't need campaigns that often, uh, but I like having these anthology books to be able to use to supplement larger yeah. campaigns. Like I'm in, oh, I'm in a, oh. I'm in a campaign right now that I'm, um, that we're in sort of the third act of, and we've, we ran through uh, Dragon Heist, and then we I transitioned Dragon Heist into Curse of Strahd, and now we're in the third act where um, the dark powers of Ravenloft have been brought into the realms, and they've all chosen champions all over the place, and now they have to figure out what to do with it all, right? And I'm and and I'm I love in that situation, like I'm like, well, okay, you're going after this 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 lich sort of uh, dark power champion, I'm going to just make it a Sarerak and we're going to use the Tomb of the Nine Gods from Tomb of Annihilation, right? That'll oh, be great. Uh, yeah. I, can, I, can, I can pull that out. So having something like this where I can, I can do that very easily, oh, they're, they're 14th level. Let me flip to a 14th level adventure. Boom. Let's see if that'll fit. Sort of I can, I can tweak the storyline and make that fit. I like having these sort of anthologies. And more so... Where this one succeeds in a way that Saltmarsh maybe didn't is that it goes into some of the higher levels, right? right. It, it goes yeah. up to level sixteen, um, and and you know, I wish it went all the way up to twenty, just so that you you have the full range of options. Um, mm. Whereas Saltmarsh, I think, stayed under ten, uh, and so it has it, has a little yeah, more limited. I think you're supposed to finish at ten. Yeah, like like in yeah. Do you do you find that the adventures at the higher level, let's say above ten, uh, fit the theme of what an adventurer should be doing at those levels? These adventures? Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. Because actually, what one of the things I was concerned about it was providing an appropriate challenge. Like, for example, yeah. the one. That uh, I think this is actually the adventure that Brandis wrote, the Scrivener's is it Scrivener's Tale? Yeah. Yep, that's one of the yeah, the Scrivener's Tale, which is meant for 14th level, has yeah. a, a sort of uh, the the big bad villain of the whole thing is a CR 16 uh, bad guy, right? Um, that might even as I look through. Yeah, I mean, they summon some allies and whatever, but all in all, like it's basically a one-on-one fight with this this villain. Yeah, uh, a party of fourteenth-level characters is gonna stomp all over that sixteenth-level villain. Yeah. Uh, it's not gonna be much of a challenge, but I find that tends to be true all around. You know, I when you get into the higher levels, I always have to push the challenge. Uh, yeah. For even, even when I ran uh, out of the abyss and they were fighting demon lords, I had to pump up the demon lords because the stat blocks weren't nearly powerful enough for high level characters. Um, yeah, I think like uh, so that question. I mean, I I'd love to know the answer because I just looked. Yeah, I just looked through it and I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, I mean, different people want different things for the game from the game, right? I mean, right. I've seen like. Mm-hmm. 14 level groups just would yeah be fools in, in town and never engage in any combat or anything like that uh, but you know that's it, it's hard to hit every um, to hit every note in terms of mechanics um, yeah I guess I guess it's going to follow the same um, and this is you know just a guess but it's been a, a pattern that they've followed since the beginning which is that you know, encounters and monsters and stuff like that is balanced for 
kind of like the very basic, uh, you know, game mode, which doesn't include magic items, doesn't include feats. Um, right. Yeah. So, you know, in regular gameplay, it's going to feel underwhelming at times. Sure. Um, now, I, I, I mean, and I think this is maybe the heart of what you were actually really asking, Enrique, is, is are they, are the characters doing high level things in these high level adventures? Yeah, right? that's, that's where I was getting at. Like, is the, yeah. you know, are the adventures... Does it feel like an epic level adventure? So sixteenth level adventure. The sixteenth you know. level one is like, again, having just skimmed it, is dealing with stopping a potential global plague. That feels mid-teens yeah. appropriate. You know, I don't yeah. think you, I'd want to be doing that at eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Um, right. But fifteen, sixteen, that that kind of level makes sense. The one right before that deals with the recovery of uh, a Nether Scroll, which in Forgotten Realms lore, like that's a really big, potentially world shattering thing to recover. So that makes sense. Um, you know, well, I, I I tend to think the answer is yes. I just wanted your opinions because you know you, you sometimes people mm-hmm. think that. You, at, at those type of levels, you got to be off exploring the planes and, and leaving the world behind right. and, and well, doing greater things out in the multiverse. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes, you and, know. and there's a degree to which I, I there's a degree to which I agree. Like to my mind, when I get in, especially when like 16 and above, it starts becoming D and D superheroes a little bit, and and I'm okay with that. I I enjoy that that style of play, uh, and so I don't mind. Uh, I, I I do think that's the direction I usually go with a campaign, but this isn't a campaign. These are short yeah. little one-shot adventures, and it's hard to come up with epic sort of appropriate one, one-shot adventures. And I think yeah. from what I'm seeing, they do that decently well. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, because if you're following, I mean, the book doesn't establish, I mean, it kind of establishes something like a framework, which is like adventurers are in kind of keep, find a book and then sends them somewhere. But I mean, you could do this anywhere, right? I mean, yeah, the characters could find a book in, you know, like I said, in another plane or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can just move everything, but it requires a little extra work. Um, But, but yeah, I, that, that's the beauty of this, that it can be. I guess played. It's incredibly portable. Um, Like, and even the, like it's all built around this framing device and they really push this framing device of you find a weird book and it, and it starts you on a mystery. Right. But you can honestly, for most of them, you could just completely eliminate the book concept and just send them to this little demi plane for some other way or, you know, whatever. Um, You accidentally picked up a port key and boom, you know, you're in a place now figure out how to get back or whatever it is. Right. There's, yeah, there's, I don't have, in fact, they even, um, I recently had a conversation with Sam and and Mike on Behind the DM Screen talking about how we wish that WotC did more in terms of giving sort of these, putting these little transparency sidebar things of like, this is what we're trying to do here and how you could turn these dials mm-hmm. to do things differently or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- you know, uh, we were specifically talking about Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and there's lots of moments where it's like, if they made it clear what they were going for, it would be easier for the DM to figure out how they're supposed to run a thing, right? 
Uh, and this book, I thought they actually kind of start doing that a little bit. Um, you know, the, the whole first section, of book, a book of books uh, yeah. chapter, talks about how to dissect the adventures, about uh, some things that you need to know about the setting of the Forgotten Realms to make it work. Um, they, there's even a section about being a, a sensitive DM and listening to your players and, and when they might be comfortable or uncomfortable, which seems like a weird this seems like a weird product to put that in because it's not full of a lot of things that might make like clearly this was like there needs to be a conversation about this. And so they just yeah. put it in the next book that they published, uh, you because yeah. um, it really. Think, yeah, go ahead. I, is, is that I, I think that's just something they're going to include in all, in all upcoming books. Because, that may be. Yeah, because they, they included it in Frostmaiden because it was kind of a horror adventure in, in certain ways. And then it, it's in here. And as you say, it doesn't feel. You know, at a glance, it doesn't feel like the adventure has themes that that might make people uncomfortable, but it still, you know, it still includes it. Enrique, you're, oh, th- you're, uh, you're or something. Yeah. Apologies. Uh, no, I wanted to jump in and say that I, I do think that this book was sort of. Uh, I'll disagree with you guys a little bit because they did include that in this book. They also included the new uh, monster stat block without uh, alignment. Alignment. In it. Yeah. Alignment's mm-hmm. gone in the stat, in the NPC did, stat block. I didn't even notice that. Uh, gender is gone from the NPC descriptions. If if there's certain NPCs that don't even have a gender assigned to them, that you can just pick whatever gender you want. Okay. And this book also includes the Vistani adventure, where Christopher Perkins basically rewrites the Vistani. So I think they did use this book as a bit of a soft reset for a few things. Yeah. They've wanted to fix, uh, or or change, or or improve on, and um, and adding that that type of sidebar. Uh, about having a conversation with your players. Yes, I do agree. We're going to see it moving forward in probably every product, but I don't think it's here just because the adventures in the book require it. I think it's just it's here because moving forward, it's going to be everywhere. That right? may be. And this is just yeah. the, the moment and in time this is where just it hit. Another, and this is just a moment in time where it hit. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and that said, if you allow me, I think maybe we should do a little bit of a, of a rewind because we haven't even talked about the... the the fact that this book, just like all the other adventure books, gives you like a setting that you could, you know, it's a modular setting that you could then take and place it. You know, they give you a candle keep to describe candle yes. keep in, in pretty good detail, um, you know, outside of the adventures. And it really has nothing to do with, with a lot of the adventures. But if you ever want to play in candle keep, this book gives you a really great look at what candle keep is and how it operates. And, and, and they've added to the candle keep lore, which I think is really nice. So I would I say this to... this book gives a a passable introduction to Candlekeep. I I, it, it, I I don't know like I feel like even Descent into Avernus gave us a deeper look into Baldur's Gate. Uh, uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh gave us a deeper look into Saltmarsh. Uh, right. I think if I wanted to really run this as a campaign, which it's not designed to do, as we've already discussed, um, but if I wanted to and I really wanted to dive into Candlekeep, I would want additional supplemental material, such as the one, uh, the product on DMs Guild uh, called, I think it's just called Candlekeep, isn't it? Elminster's, Elminster's Candlekeep Ga- Companion or, or yeah. Elminster's Guide to Candlekeep. Yeah. Enrique knows because he, he advised on it or whatever. Uh, but right. that had uh, Ed Greenwood and some other folks in on yeah. it. And so it's but, it's pretty good, strong. But I, I will say this. I would have loved to have this book available to me when I ran Avernus. Because oh, in Avernus, yeah. you go to Candlekeep and they give you nothing about Candlekeep and Avernus. Yeah. Nope, that's true. Uh, the, yes. You know, it, it kind of feels like this book should well, have... Yeah, I still don't understand why Candlekeep is in that adventure. It feels just like, hey, let's 
like you know please fans of the game Baldur's Gate <laughs> it's just included because yeah it doesn't feel like it needs but yeah, yeah like Enrique says if if you want to uh, you know flesh it out more which it deserves because it's amazing um, yeah this book helps oh somebody was asking if there was a map yeah so. yeah <laughs> there's a there's a pull-out poster map and actually that's the only full map in in the book itself they chopped off like half of that map for uh, their discussion of talking about candlekeep but the other half never really appears anywhere so oh well, that's true I didn't even notice those chopped off yeah they do they do half the map and they never come <laughs> yeah. I, I thought maybe they would do half so the map weird. when they're talking about the, that area and then they yeah. would give the other half of the map when you get to the other area and they just never show the other half of the map yeah so I'm just going to show this because it's so weird uh-huh. uh, it's just in one half of the page and then it's just gone. And, it, and it's in the it's in the part of the map that has the least amount going on. Yeah, most of it's just this big courtyard. <laughs> so. Oh wow! But it'll it'll definitely sit in my uh, stack of maps when I get ready to to run my descent into Avernus game, and I can pull out the Candlekeep uh, Elminster's Candlekeep product and and those other things and and. Uh, and this as well and to tie into it. Maybe I'll they, find some adventures to, from here to pull at that point too. I don't know they, what the... they they name check the uh, the uh, tiefling uh, the tiefling who who you know who you deal with in, in Candlekeep and Avernus is mentioned in this oh, book. Oh, Sylvia so. is she in there? Yeah, yeah. So they were consistent about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's one of the. I forgot they have a title. I forgot what her title is. The great readers. The great reader, yeah, she's she's one of many. Apparently, the great readers have different spe- uh, specialties. So hers is planar traveling. Um, yeah. So she's in the book. Yep, she is. Is that are the titles of the uh, the bookkeepers like lore from before, or did they make it um, make them for this book? I I feel like that was stuff that I remember seeing in second edition. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the names I don't, I don't remember ever getting like that specific. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of Candlekeep stuff, you know. Back, I did a thread recently about it. Um, in fact, the biggest, the biggest bit of lore that I found was in a Dragon magazine that was basically uh, using Candlekeep to help promote the Baldur's Gate video game. Yeah. You just um, don't have enough conversations with Ed Greenwood. I don't. <laughs> that's that's where all the lore is. <laughs> but he jumped. But but he did jump into my thread on Twitter and added to it. Oh, nice. So, yep, that sounds that like him. Yeah. That sounds like him. That was nice. At some point, speaking of the the Baldur's Gate um, video game, somebody was asking earlier a while ago in the chat uh, whether or not there's any reference to um, ball, the ball spawn. Um, yeah, I didn't see any. I don't remember. So you go to Baldur's again, Gate. You go to Baldur's Gate twice. I, at least I counted two adventures that take you to Baldur's Gate. Oh, I, uh, only, I only caught in, one, including Brandon's. Uh, Brandis's. Yeah, that one takes you, and I think there's a low-level one that takes you. Uh, I don't know if it's the fourth or the second. One of those takes you to Baldur's Gate. That one page with the the breakdown, the chart of. All yeah. the adventures is going to be helpful for this conversation. You also you also visit an area near Silvery Moon. Uh, I want to say that's in the Silver Marshes. Um, yep. So it does take you out of the Sword Coast a bit, mm-hmm. but it's mostly to like little pocket dimensions. Yeah. Uh, there's a grove uh, in a forest near Silvery Moon. Uh, it takes you to Baldur's Gate. 
I think that's really good. Like, I don't think there's a lot of and some some of the a lot of those sort of pocket dimensions or demi planes could really be connected to any world and and, and don't and, immediately you know. feel connected to the realms at all. And and that's fine because I can I can flavor it how I want to, right? Um, and some of them though, like there was one, um, the lore of Larue, uh, I thought was a really nice because that one is very deeply tied to some Forgotten Realms lore. Larue being a uh, a god of the Forgotten Realms, um, so so I I and Melara is also um, connected to that one. So I, I like that sort of attempt to. Sure, we're going to go to a separate place. It's, it's its own demi plane. We have every ability in the world to just ignore the fact that this has anything to do with the realms, but we're going to deeply sort of steep this adventure in the realms. As a realms fan, I appreciate them not ignoring the fact that this is at least nominally supposed to be a right. realms set book. So, yeah, yeah, I I agree. Because I mean, they they could have just as well like framed it as any library, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So and and they also give options like you like plays the adventure somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. Give options for Alexandria, the critical role setting for Eberron and um, uh, Greyhawk. Yeah, I found so, yeah. I found those selections interesting. I, I I spoke about it a little bit on Twitter uh, a few days ago. So the first selection, the first option you get is the critical role one. Uh-huh. Um, then you get Eberron, and then you get Greyhawk. And I and it it struck me as wow like these guys know where their audience is coming from. Mm. Totally, yeah. You know? these yeah, guys yeah. Know where their audience is coming from. There, there's no hiding it anymore. Like you know, there's a reason why that critical role one is the first one on the on, on the list. Sure. Uh, but even then, like it's interesting to me that. Like you could easily make an argument that they're going to talk about the the settings that they've supported that they've published, right? But even right. then, they they like where's where's Ravnica, where you know where's where's That's the other uh, or Theros, right? Um, you know, so it's interesting to me that they're they're talking about that. I mean, they could have even as a as a as a easter egg or as a as a hint they could have thrown out some great library that's going to appear in the upcoming ravenloft book that's been announced right they you know right. there's um although that may have been a whole different thing because ravenloft is itself a demiplane so would it be weird having a, a setup where you've got a library that's sending you to demiplanes of a demiplane just all the <laughs> one inside of each other yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're now we're doing uh dnd inception right i mean you're you're I'm going to get hate for this, but you're speaking as if the cosmology in D&D makes any sense. Well. <laughs> <laughs> like. It makes sense in my head. <laughs> so, you know what I love about this book? One of the things I, I love about this book is that there's this, and, and I'm going to use the alternate cover as the as the example here. Like this, this there's an air of whimsy around this book mm. that, that I just, it, it has Chris Perkinson's name and um, feel all over it. Like yeah. You could tell you could tell his hand was all over this book, and it's it's a better product for it. I think. Like, well, I, maybe. I love, I love the fantastical. Even this reminds me of like a like a Victorian era sure. poster somewhere. You know, I love this whole thing. I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be. I think Chris Perkins deserves a lot of credit. It does worry me a little sometimes when I only see one person working design on a book. Um, you know, I'm 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 and I'm and Chris Perkins. 
I'm I am I guarantee it has his hands all over the next book, the the Ravenlock book, because um, that was you know Curse of Strahd was kind of his baby, right? Uh, and I'm a little I get a little worried sometimes that he is stretching himself a little thinner than than maybe he should, um, you know. Uh, and and I I really liked the fact that they. Uh, and I think some people in the chat mentioned this a while ago uh, that they brought in a whole slew of new freelancers. You know, uh, they had a tendency to pick a handful of freelancers and just use them over and over and over again. And I love James Intercasso. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, but I also <laughs> like seeing other people sort of get a shot to do some things uh, and some people who can bring different perspectives uh, and, and what have you. Like, I think there's a lot of value in what they've done. But and then it's a little jarring when I see. Uh, you know, it's freelancer, 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 and then Adam Lee, who again, great guy, good designer, but like, he's already working for Watsi and has been published a million times. Um, who who didn't get a shot, you know? Uh, or when Chris Perkins has one where he edited it himself. No, he he d- did the development himself for his own adventure, and then had I think Kim Mohan do the editing. Um, you know, so I don't know if I'm being nitpicky or what, but um, well, the uh, uh, you know, on that point, the Chris Perkins Kim Mohan adventure in this book is the Vistani rewrite. Yeah. So I think he wanted to do that himself for obvious reasons. I think they they really look at the Vistani as something they needed to update to modern sensibilities, and sure. yeah. and I don't think he was going to pass that along to a freelancer. I think that was his and that and that that makes sense. I just I kind of wish I was looking at the credits page and saw more than just him on on development for this book. Right. Um, they got, some, they got some good folks over there. Let, let, you know, share the load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it make sense that, I mean, you know, when, when you said about the uh, Adam Lee and, and uh, Chris Lindsay is here too. And yeah, Chris Ari, Ari Levitch. Um, yeah, so does it make, I mean, would it be the case that they kind of like need to be there in order to like lend some, I don't know if leg- legitimacy is the right word. Uh, but like, like in order the adult, to the adult in the room the fans, overseeing the yeah 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 like reassure well, the fans that this is because there's so many new writers and that's uh, where and I think great, I think if but, if they'd have tapped those folks to to help with Chris in the design and development part of it right. and then let uh, let the main writing being done by freelancers except for maybe the one crucial chapter um, I I don't know I think that would have been uh, interesting I do really like the one thing that is particularly different here is that not that clearly the highlighting of the freelancers is a goal um because this is the only book i remember seeing like the writers and editors and whatever listed on each adventure yeah uh you know having their names there and then having the bios and on the last page sort of describing who they are and what have you uh i I don't remember them doing that in the past and, and they're also doing press for the book yeah so I like that they're they're not only uh, bringing in all these new people, giving new you know getting some new voices into the game, and and again this is the perfect product to do it right because because um, it's a short adventure, and if if you don't like that one person's style, it, it's okay right so just don't use that one right. Uh, mm-hmm. un- unlike say uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, where they had a different freelance most of them freelancers design each level of the dungeon, they didn't give them credit for their level yeah. right uh they didn't list bios for them but you also like 
if you didn't like their style, you're in a little bit harder of a time because you can't play through Dungeon of the Mad Mage without visiting every level, you know. Uh, whereas this one, you can you can just take and pick and choose the ones you want to play with. Yeah, I I love that they did that. Like just knowing who wrote who, mm-hmm. um, it's awesome. Yeah, and I think yeah. and I think a lot of players like they'll never need they'll they won't they don't care who wrote what. Right. Yeah. And, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think you need to. But I think the fact that they're that the writers are getting credit for the thing that they wrote, uh, I think, is is worthwhile. And I'm I'm glad they did it. And just like it, uh, knowing who, who did it, like if someone really likes something and wants to expand it, like maybe they can like get them up on Twitter or something. I mean, they yeah. know who to look for or exactly. look more of their work. Uh, on the DMs Guild. Maybe we can. Maybe I can show a little bit of that because along with the credits of the adventures comes really nice graphic design for the book, which is something I think we should also acknowledge, right? Yep. So I'm gonna put this picture up so you could see the credits there, um, and you can see the nice font and it's and it's nice design, mm-hmm. and you see that the title of the adventure, and then you see the author and the editor, the development. So it's it's really nice. It's a really nice. Nice book overall. I think it's a really nice product. But your visuals are great for the stream. Um, not, <laughs> not, not for the podcast. Not, not for the right. vast majority of people who will <laughs> be listening to this in podcast, but that's okay. Probably. Hey, listen, I'm a TV producer, man. What do you want from me? Absolutely. <laughs> Seriously, what do you want from me, man? This, I think visually. Absolutely. No, that's – I'll take it. And Because I, I, st- I think you still make a, a point that the, the listeners can hear um, that the design – uh, I'll just well. I'll just plug my listen. I'll just plug my Twitter feed. You want to go see pictures? Go to my Twitter feed. I have a ton of pictures of the book. He you does. can't get that. On, can't get that on a podcast. Nope. <laughs> uh, newbie DM uh, on Twitter. Uh, every every book. As soon as you get it, basically, you spend the rest of the afternoon live really? tweeting a thumb through of the book. Hey, listen. I got to do something, right? No one's asking, <laughs> No one's calling me to write anything, so I might as well do. There something. you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is our contribution. <laughs> Good, good. So uh, we've talked through a lot of things in this book, um, and and we kind of hit a lot of my 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 standard sort of follow up questions on these things. Um, I think we've talked about the kinds of things that raise our interests, uh, and we've talked about some things that maybe we're a little more skeptical about, or or we're curious about. Like ultimately, we can't tell you at this point whether the adventures are actually any good um, because we haven't played through the adventures I know that I am looking at a few of them very closely because they might be particularly relevant to things I'm running in my game right now right my, my players are level 13 about to hit 14 so those high level adventures um, play really well for me and so I'm looking at those a little more deeply uh, yeah, uh, Darger in or Dar Junior in the in the chat wants to know if there's player content in here. There's zero player content in here. I, I think there's a few things we could talk about that that I think people will have questions for. I'm going to yeah. tackle some of them, and then you know you guys tell me what you think. Yeah. So we have some new monsters to Five E, which I think is is a great contribution. We have some updated monsters from Third Edition. I don't know if Fourth, but for sure Third, um, that have been updated to Five E. Uh, specifically, what's that little frogman again? The Gripply, right? Yeah, Gripply might be and, from and, second. And there's but... a few. There's a few other things. Um, but there's some. There's there's quite a bit of new 
excuse me, new monsters. I think we have a new NPC type. Uh, the Sage, right? The Sages, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Sage and the Greater Sage, I think. Is that his name, Greater Sage? Something like that. Master Sage. Uh, so we have two new NPC types. We have a bunch of monsters. Uh, let's talk about the maps, because mm-hmm. the maps are always a, a point of contention with the community. Uh, whether we get color maps or whether we get the black and white, what I like to call Dyson logo style maps, uh-huh. which I which I know he is not the only uh, artist, um, but they're more or less all in that same style, that and, black and, and white. And style. he and he was a cartographer listed on the credits he was, for this. He was. So. He's one of the cartographers, and there's a few others, and and all the maps in the book are pretty much in that style, except mm-hmm. for one map. It's an overland map drawn by Claudio Posas. Yes. Uh, and and that. That map is meant to look like it was hand drawn by an NPC, and he did that. Um, that one, and, right. and and of course the city map is, and is and the candlekeep map is yeah. So, but the the battle maps in the game are all black and white line art, um, and I think it's worth mentioning that to to listeners because uh, people do ask you know yeah about the maps. Yeah, and every adventure has at least two maps from what I'm seeing, like one one of them urban or like location maps, I guess, yep. and one of them a dungeon map. And uh, yeah, no although some, some of the maps are real sparse. I noticed that a few of them, like there was one map where it's like, did you probably didn't even really need a map for like a road and a couple of things on the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was told... I was told, and I, I uh, either on Twitter, someone told me, or the author told me, that there was to be some player content because somebody wrote a player, um, a player race for the little—I keep forgetting their name—the the little frogman. So, a little frogman, the Gripply, was supposed to be a player option, and Watsi cut it. Um, so there you go. That's a little inside tip somebody threw my way. I don't remember where. I hope I'm not getting somebody in trouble here. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, well, if I am, come, you know, blame me. It's not but, my fault. He did it. <laughs> but apparently the Gripply was at one point slated to be a, a player option and then mm-hmm. it was cut. Yeah. I I can see it being just to maintain consistency of, like... And, and, and no, no alignment on oh, that. That looks so cool, too. No alignment on that. Mm-hmm. We were robbed. <laughs> well, and uh, although I can say, given that there's literally zero player content anywhere else, it would be weird yeah. to have that one thing. Um, I could see it as a as a thing that they, you know, every now and then they'll put out their their like what what they did with the turtles or or the the what were the other frog people? From uh, Tomb oh, of the ones from Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, the little the little. Puerto Rican tree frogs. What are they called? The, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm blanking on them. <laughs> We're all blanking on it. Oh my but gosh. They're like they're like red and green and. So with the G too. Grung. The grung. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the grung. Uh, but so for those like the, for those they they released them as like a, a charity sort of release and and raise money yeah. for for child play or something on that. Yeah. Um. So. Maybe maybe we'll still see the Gripply at some point uh, released in some you know in something like that or like how they had um, you know they had other adventures in um, uh, from the Essentials Kit right there were other follow up adventures that that if you uh, got it on D and D Beyond then you got access to more adventures than what was just in the box um, you know and so they, I could see them you know. 
I imagine that there are adventures that hit the cutting room floor in the process of making this book that um, that they could still release as sort of extras and things like that or charity releases or whatever in the future. Yeah. There's an adventure here. Somebody asked me on Twitter earlier today if um, how far the book, how far the adventures took you outside the Sword Coast. I just saw one that takes you into Anorak, uh, yes. the desert. Yeah, no, that's uh, one so of the ones I was looking at. Yeah. So there are some locations. And, you know, it's not all in the Sword Coast. Yeah. So that's interesting. No, I, I'm, I'm happy with this book. Overall, I think this is a good book. Overall, I think a lot of people have been asking for a book made up of short adventures. You know, these hardcovers, let's be honest, some of these hardcovers are, are, are hard to run sometimes. They, they're very time-consuming. Yep. Yeah, are, I don't, and I don't know if I'm willing to say it's a good book yet, just because I haven't been able to play through well, much, or you know. But it is, the, it is a style of product that I will get use out of. Yes. Uh, I will certainly like when I'm when I'm running things, and I'm like, I we got a little bit of time between big major events. Is there a, a small little mystery I can throw at him to to keep him busy for a session well, or two? These are also uh, transition adventures, right? What I like to call like transitionary adventures. So, like for mm. in my case. The 10th level adventure, my, my party right now in my game is 10th level. In my case, this 10th level adventure that's in this book is perfect for what I need oh, uh, cool. to take him out of where I am right now and back to where right. I want him to be. I did a whole thing where I you know, took him back through time into the, uh, into the Netherese Empire. I'm not going to get into spoilers about a certain book that uh-huh, did that. Uh-huh. But, but my players did that stupid thing, and, and now I'm stuck in the past. And this book, <laughs> this, this book gives me a great get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, right. In that regard, and I'm going to use it. Uh-huh. So I will be running that tenth level adventure. No, absolutely no, and, and there's a lot of value in. I mean, I I've definitely supplemented a lot using books like this. Tales of the Old Margrave from Cobalt Press is a book, uh, an anthology book, kind of like this, and I use that he- heavily in my campaign. Um, you know, uh, all all you know, I pulled a bunch from Salt Marsh for my current campaign as well. Um, but but I've run into the issue of like, okay, but now I'm I'm past level ten, and if I want to have anthology books that give me something to to supplement and pull from past level ten, um, there's nothing other than uh, Yawning Portal, where there's a bunch of death trap dungeons. Um, but if you're not looking for a big death trap dungeon, there's nothing uh, beyond level ten to just pull out short little. Uh, supplemental adventures until here. And so that's where I think it really sings for me uh, is that not only is it this anthology, but it's an anthology that doesn't pretend that the game stops at level 10. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of Watsi publications just assume that you stop playing after level 10. And I don't know about you all, but my players are like, no, I've, I've been with these characters a long time. I'm not giving them up now. <laughs> so I need stuff yeah. for those, those higher levels too. So. Am I missing something or did they, I mean, has have they been doing this before and I just haven't noticed? There are no adventure summaries. Just like a quick description of the book. There are in a couple of the adventures. I noticed that too because one of the yeah. things I was trying to do in preparation for this conversation was just read, just get a summary of each adventure. Yeah. Uh, and some of, a, a handful of them have an adventure summary. But most of them do not. Um, yeah, that's, I, you know, that's I, I got the impression that um, that because it's all done by freelancers and it's all different, that they right. gave each one, each writer sort of their own chance to sort of frame it the way they wanted to. 
Uh, and yeah. so some of them did that, and some of them did. Uh, Tales of the Old Margrave did the same thing. It's a series of, uh, you know, anthology of, of foresty adventures, right? Um, and I noticed that from them. Now, that's a third-party published product, but it's Cobalt Press. They're pretty solid uh, and consistent. And so um, the fact that they made that choice came off as a choice that they made, and I think that's... Page, page five kind of gives you the, a quick description of each adventure. Yeah. I made it real quick. It's just a table that gives you like a sentence or two. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a uh, what's it called a, a log line of the adventure. the elevator pitch, yeah. right? Right, yeah. Um, well, the reason I ask is that I I normally use them like a lot when I um, when I'm running them, mostly to compare. I use them as outlines, if that makes sense mm-hmm. for myself. Uh, usually, if I'm running a published adventure, I have I have that either simplified into sentences or made into like a checklist or something like that. And just to try to stay on track, I suppose. Um, and I know I'm not, not a lot of people use them, but yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I really like them for anthology adventures just cause it's like, yeah. okay, this is around the right level. I don't want to read the whole adventure to tell if this is going to right, fit with exactly. my campaign. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a quick synopsis or, or, or adventure overview or a summary um, is a great way of like, let me read these three paragraphs and now I know if this is worth looking into some more or not, right? Um, no, I use them a lot too as a DM. Um, and I recognize that like once you've made the decision to run the adventure, you may not need those anymore and then that becomes wasted space yeah. that you could have used for for more stuff, right? Um but I may never run the adventure if I can't quickly figure out if it's going to fit for what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I guess I mean they're all fairly linear too, right? So I suppose maybe that's why they didn't include them. Mm-hmm. I am, I imagine they were they gave the freelancers a template of sort of headings to use or whatever for setting yeah. up their adventures. Cause each one of them has a little blurb about the book that, that it's based out of from candle keep and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah. I, but I would guess that some of they gave them that template and some of them just stuck to Watsy's template. And some of them are like, yeah. um, yeah, I'll, I'll stick to the template. And some of them were like, yeah, but I've, I've, I've written adventures before and I like this style better. I'm just going to do that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I imagine that's kind of what's going on. Enrique is uh, experiencing snow in Miami. <laughs> I'm guessing he has a family member who needed to get by somewhere and whatever and didn't want to be on camera. That's that's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> understandable. Don't worry. Yeah, uh, this is you. why I podcast down in the basement where nobody goes. Uh, I'm in Miami. We have no basement. We have a swamp. Yeah. No, I, get, I, I get that. I, I live atop a swamp. Yeah. I dig two feet down and I'm, I hit the crocodiles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, oh yeah, go ahead. Just really, is that is that real? I mean, I've never been to to Florida. <laughs> I, I mean, I see people memeing about that all the time, but I don't, is that is that true? Do you just see alligators? I I have ridden bike next to them. I have. Uh, passed them in traffic. I mean, there was a story a couple of years ago about uh, was a crocodile on a, at a Disney resort jumped out and killed a kid, right? They, I, I've seen them on sidewalks. I've seen them crossing the street. I've ridden bike next to them. Yes, they are real. Yeah. 
No. <laughs> I mean, I know they're real. Now it doesn't. Now like, it doesn't mean. Now listen, we're not covered in alligators. You know, right, like, right. Right. when when those things happen, it's like, oh wow, look what happened. There's an alligator crossing the street, mm-hmm. right. but it does happen. Yep. No, I I I, I remember hearing stories from uh, people I've known that grew up in the area, or whatever. They they grow. They'd live on the. They you know living in in Orlando and and they grow up on a lake or whatever and they tell stories about how oh yeah we'd always go out swimming in the lake but the rule was you always had to sort of at least look around the water a little bit make sure you weren't about to jump on top of one and get bit so. <laughs> look my wife tells my kids all the time always assume in a body of water there's an alligator oh yeah and she's right because there are yeah, yeah. it's a thing but what <laughs> where you don't find alligators so far as i remember is anywhere in this book that. Yeah. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've done this for powers. a few years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So any other um, any other thoughts, things that you think we should talk about, uh, things that you're particularly interested in? Um, sort of. This is our chance for sort of last thoughts. Where we're knocking on on the door of about an hour or so. Um, this is your chance uh, well, for anything else that you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about yet. Well, I do have to mention uh, or highlight, I suppose, an adventure from a friend. Uh, and I know we all have adventures, uh, you know, from friends and, yeah. and <laughs> colleagues and all that. But, like, uh, I mean, this adventure is, is a level seven adventure, Sorrow Yellow Crest Manor by Derek Ruiz. Um, and Derek, you know, the adventure is, you know, to me, it, 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 it's highlighted because, I mean, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, because... I, my history with D&D doesn't go that far back, um, but he's the first Mexican to write an adventure for an official D&D product, mm. which is appalling. <laughs> it is, yeah. You know, considering they had a whole line of products in second edition for uh, basically the Azteca. Azteca, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, Derek did a great job. I, I That is the only adventure that I've read in full. Okay. And I can say I, I really enjoy it. It's a murder mystery, which uh, I love. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't talk about mastica. Yeah, that, that <laughs> no. basically means to chew in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. whoever, came up, whoever came up with that name really had has no clue. It's uh, the chewing continent. It's, it was yeah. Mastica means I chew. You chew. I'm chewing. Well, it's yeah. the, it's the worst so name. I know very little about that continent. Um, oh. But maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe there's some sort of uh, you know terrestrial creature that runs around and chews on everything. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, tried, they tried to mix Aztec with Mayan, you know, oh, Ma- yeah. Mayan and Aztec, and they came up with Mastica. And it's like, dude, pick up a dictionary at least, check the word <laughs> to make sure it doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> come on. So and it's yeah, no, but yeah, there, there are, and if if I think there's at least two other um, home show appearing uh writers that are featured in here as well Brenda stoddard of course is regularly on the show uh and then amy vorpal um has been on a couple of episodes back in the day um and so i know if you want to hear more about those folks we got them all over the place but um there's definitely uh you know it has definitely occurred to me that, hey, this freelancer list is a great list for me to go to when I need guests to talk about that. <laughs> so uh, if you're in this book, uh, I might be sending you a message. Uh, if you're not too big to hang out for with uh, a D&D podcast that's been doing it for like a decade and a half. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> right on. All right. Any other sort of last thoughts? 
Things you want to mention before we go? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to running that 10th level one just so I can, you know, get a, what get is a the look at it. 10th level yeah. is the um, Zikran's Zephyrian Tome. Oh, and can that we didn't... talk about why this wood elf is blue? <laughs> Wait, is he a wood elf? Yes. <laughs> uh, I caught that the person was blue. And I, I noted that because I feel like there's a preponderance of uh, fantasy-colored characters in this book. I did not catch that it was a wood elf, and I don't know that wood elves canonically appear blue. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. He's blue. I don't know. Maybe, he's, maybe he ate a lot of silver. But there was also you like know, a bartender with purple hair, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, the purple hair I can I can understand, but the blue skin—that's like remember that guy who ate all that silver and he turned blue. <laughs> Ever heard that story? Well, maybe that's what happened. <laughs> so maybe this guy, you know, maybe this guy got trapped in a silver mine and ate a lot of blue, a lot of silver. <laughs> that's an actual thing. You can turn blue when you eat silver. You can turn orange if you eat carrots. Well, there you go. I mean, it has to be pretty much nothing but carrots for a long time, but. <laughs> It will t- turn your orange. So. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that he's blue, but I wish there was. It was mentioned in his. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> that's unusual. Just thought he was a drow, but like. Unless, unless they're, unless they're like, in the process of tweaking the canon of various races and whatever, they're they're adding more like fantasy. Oh, colors that, that would be interesting. Maybe maybe it's the lighting. Maybe he. Uh... Maybe they took the picture with blue light hitting him. Oh, it's it's he's not blue. He's he's white <laughs> yeah. and gold, right? Yeah, he's you know, <laughs> it's it's the dress all over again. Who knows? <laughs> I'm out. That's it. I got nothing. More. <laughs> I think that is a really good place to stop. Once we start making references to the dress, um, it's probably a good place to stop. So uh, if unless unless Mario's got something else that he really wants to say, we're gonna go ahead and call this the end of the episode. Oh. All right. Then the episode is over. Uh, I want to thank everybody for who listens by for supporting us. Uh, you can go shopping at DMs Guild through our affiliate links uh, at thetomeshow.com. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, and yeah, I want to thank Watsi for sending all three of us review copies. And I want to thank uh, Mario. Where If people want to find more from you, where sh- on the internet should they go? Uh, you can find me at uh, Elwarius on Twitter, Twitch, um, and that's pretty much uh, it. Uh, I do most of the things that I do for content are in Spanish, but I am working on some pretty cool stuff in English. Uh, I'm developing a setting uh, based on the legends that I grew up hearing uh, from my abuelo, which is basically just... Um, mixed Mesoamerican and, and uh, you know, kind of contemporary stuff. Uh, and that's coming along. It's called Ixalva. Uh, if you're interested in that, just, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter and, and hit me up. I caught a, a recent episode of a, of a NPR um, show about specifically the, the whole show is just about Puerto Rico. Um, and they broadcast in both Spanish and English. So I think you just need to oh, do that cool. from now on and do, do <laughs> dual language yeah. broadcast just for everything. Speak, yeah, I'll connect something to my brain. And, yeah. And, yeah. Or and you, you just you do your actual play sort of 
sort of show and then go back and redo the exact same campaign but have everybody right. speak english this time <laughs> just remember what the dice rolls were like yeah yeah that wouldn't be a lot of work no yeah. uh and enrique where can people go if they want to uh harass you some more on the internet Hold on, I'm going to ask you a question first. Okay. How come how come Mario gets the Mario treatment in the in the <laughs> Spanish in the Spanish pronunciation, and you don't even attempt to pronounce Enrique uh, in the Spanish pronunciation? I, Be- I'm, I'm I'm offended because I I never I don't know how to say Enrique. <laughs> My goodness, man! <laughs> I, I've uh, I've known you for what 10, 15 years, and it, it's always uh, just been Enrique. So <laughs> I'm, I'm Josh. Nobody. I know you are. All right, guys. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. You can find me at uh, at NubiDM on, on Twitter. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, unless you come and knock on my door in my house, you're not going to find me anywhere else. Um, at NubiDM on Twitter. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Spanish, uh, Spanish language I'm, television behind the camera? Behind the camera. You know, I work for one of the Spanish language networks in the United States uh, here in Miami. And that's it. That's, you know, I'm usually on Twitter all day, so you could find me there. Yes, he, he is prolific Do- on Twitter. Prolific on Twitter is my middle name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Excellent. If you want to get a hold of the show, you can email the Tome Show at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S Q U A C H. The show is at The Tome Show. We also have the Facebook page and uh, we have a Discord channel. You can come and chat with us there. We have a, a, an active and fun little crew there and of course you can watch us on twitch uh like so many people are although the main way that people find out when we're streaming on twitch is that i post it on twitter so follow us on twitter if you want to figure out where the about the 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 twitch stream you you have a great community in your tome show discord by the way we do uh, i i lurk there a lot i don't i don't post a lot but i i I, it is one of my go-to lurking uh, discords yeah no i appreciate that no it's it's a good crew um they, I mean, they keep it supportive and they, they, we have, it's, it's one of those, like, there's a lot of discord channels where it's hard for me to find the signal in the noise. There's just so much going on, um, that I can't keep up with it all. We are just active enough that there's a lot going on and a lot of conversations to engage in, but not so much that I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> so, um, yep. and, and yeah, so it works out pretty well. I enjoy it. All right, uh, we're going to call that the end of the surprise round where we we dug into the mysteries of Candlekeep uh, with Candlekeep Mysteries, and, which I didn't even mention is about the simplest name I've seen on a 5th edition D&D book yet. Candlekeep <laughs> Mysteries. I don't know that I hate it. Um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think there's I don't think there's any other book with a two-word title. I, yeah, I don't think there is. Uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh is close. Yeah, but yeah, the word they're getting better with the word economy. Next think, book think, will just yeah. be a space. Yeah, I, I, I don't hate I don't hate <laughs> Candlekeep Mysteries as a name. So there we go. All right, that's the end of this episode of the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the I'm on the wall.